0: Really, I'm a fucking badass woman if I am looking at these people and instead of anger and hatred, I'm consciously aware of where they're coming from. Badass. We are the league of badass women,
1: 10,000 voices strong. Female, friends. non-binary, inclusive. Walking the walk, talking the talk, transformative conversations on gender, hour. womanhood, work, the community, and back again. Perspectives from Boise to Beijing, gathering, gathering to radically redesign leadership. Join, Join us and be heard.
2: Welcome back to the League of Badass Women podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Orth. For this very special episode, we're going to just jump right in, starting with our first ever returning guests from New York City.
1: I'm Jamie Silverman. I'm a creative director in advertising. I'm a runner and hopefully soon to be triathlete. I really love participating in the league because it gives me an opportunity to talk about things that I don't really have the space to talk about otherwise. I am Barry Ginsberg. I live in New York. I currently work in advertising, but I'm actually starting grad school in August.
2: So you all recently had power talks on unpacking power and privilege. Can you discuss privileges that came up that you were surprised about, either in yourself or other people, or maybe st-
1: something, a privilege that you hadn't really thought about before? Sarah, I know we talked a lot about physical privilege. I recently ran a half marathon, and I, while I was running, I observed this woman... was on crutches. And it was just obviously pretty crazy to watch a person running a half marathon on crutches because that's an insane feat. So my boyfriend and I researched her a little bit because we were curious about what her deal was. And we subsequently found out that she basically, while in Thailand, was fleeing from an attacker and fell down a hill and broke her spine and was subsequently raped for uh, repeatedly for a long period of time by the person who was um, attacking her. And decided to turn that into a strength rather than a weakness and decided to dedicate herself to physical fitness and, and has since then trained for both marathon and the half marathons. Just as a person who, as I said, I'm hopefully soon to be a triathlete. So fitness is very much a part of my life. And I have the privilege of being able to get up every single day and go out for a run and feel great about it or sometimes not feel great about it. But it really struck me that on a day where I have a shitty run... It's like nothing in comparison to people who, like her, like this woman, who every single day is a struggle for her. Mm-hmm. And she overcomes it and does these incredible things in spite of or because of her trauma. That was really remarkable.
2: I just want clarification on how you would define your privilege in that situation. Able-bodied, being an
1: able-bodied person in every single sense of the word. I broke my leg when I was in seventh grade, and I remember how horrible it was even just getting around my school on crutches. Mm -hmm. And there's people who deal with that every single day. You know, like we don't, we take for granted the fact that we have functioning bodies or fully functioning bodies every single day. And I think it made me more cognizant of the plight of people who are not equally able bodied. I would say that was one of the things that surprised me the most from our conversation because Jamie kind of led with that story. And I hadn't been thinking about the fact that my ballet training was something that actually was a privilege. The fact that I could spend six days a week. 30 hours a week training and actually kind of go to the studio those six days and give my, give my body everything that I possibly could grow at it. And I was still able to walk and, and work my way through that. like That's something that I know. There are people that just couldn't do that. That's something that I had the privilege of being able to be a part of just literally by being able-bodied. Definitely. And also just the fact that, like, we can go to work every single day and have our work situation be easy and not have it be a struggle. But I think all the time about just getting on the train and what a horrible experience that must be for somebody who is in a wheelchair, for instance, you know, making sure that you find the the subways that have elevators built into them. Being able to get around your own city is a privilege.
0: I'm Christina Carrasquillo and I live in Puerto Rico. My passion is performing arts that pushes boundaries and exposes the audience to different type of art forms, not just the traditional one. It's in the cross lines of activism, healing, and social change. Right now, I'm working for an anti-racist, decolonizing organization it's called Colectivo Ile.
2: Christina is a dear friend of mine. We worked together in California for years. She's a member of the League of Badass Women, and she's quadriplegic. So after talking with Jamie and Barry about our able-bodied privilege, I wanted to give Christina a call to see if she'd share some of her perspective. I told her a bit about our conversation and also a question Jamie and Barry had for her. Well, what if you lived in New York City and weren't able to walk up the millions of stairs in the subway stations and the elevators are down half the time and you can't live in a cheaper apartment that's on the fourth floor walk-up? Their question is, what do you wish able-bodied people knew or would do or would be more conscious of around people with disabilities, physical disabilities. And I don't want you to have to represent every single person with a disability. So any personal stories you want to tell?
0: Well, I think you said the word, it's consciousness. Mm. There's no common sense to how to treat a person with a disability or how to treat a person, a black person, what's racist for them and to know everything, you know? But, I think the answer to that even for me, you know to treat a black person, I've never experienced what it's like to to be black and to experience racism firsthand, the same with disability, the same with any kind of oppression group that's oppressed you know we there's not a common sense type of formula mm. that you follow right. so I think the best recipe I keep saying it's to speak out of a place of pure consciousness it's about knowing what you're saying what you're asking to the person and whether it's relevant to ask mm-hmm. i experience a lot of very unnecessary questions some of them could be taken as insensitive i don't take it as insensitive because when i get asked those questions i just take it from who who it comes you know mm-hmm. person that's not really conscious about their own privileges, the persons that a person that might be nervous. They just want to start a conversation because they're nervous and they just ask the first stupid thing they can think of. So to give you an example, here in Puerto Rico, it's very rare that you see a person like me that goes to work, that drives, that's used to move around and that's pretty much fearless about Puerto Rico, which is very different from the United States. Over there, you see people in wheelchair All the time. Mm. At least I used to be more aware of them and see them all the time. And it's very common to see them working in a profession, Mm. not just uh, any job. Here, it's very different. Here, I am like a monkey, you know. So they see me doing shopping and that inspires them, you know. They see me going to walk into the beach on my own. And that's the source of inspiration for them. They see me, they see my personal life. They come into my home and not like you, they just met me. And that's like, wow. You know, that's a a wow for them that we call in our community that we call inspiration porn. It's like (laughs) everything inspires you because (laughs) I am in a fucking wheelchair or because I'm different from you. Mm -hmm. So I think being conscious about what questions do you ask? Why do you ask them when you offer help? Why do you offer help? And whether that person needs help, you're, whether you're watching that person doing it on its own. And when you help that person in your mind, you're helping that person. You're basically cutting the wings of, of you're cutting my wings if you're trying to brush my teeth. You're cutting my wings if you're trying to lift the box that I am used to lifting. You're cutting my wings if if you're trying to help me in any way that I already gained control over. Mm -hmm. You know, I already gained control over my life. Just be aware of that. And like I said, I can speak for myself, not other people. My experience is very different from many people who are quadriplegic here in, in Puerto Rico because they have not had the opportunity to be out to be in, to live in a cosmopolitan city that it's really fast it's really you know you learn to be really hard you need to defend your rights you're constantly fighting for your rights you're constantly fighting for visibility you're constantly fighting to be heard to be valued to not internalize your own oppression to not believe that you are really less than them mm. Do not believe that I cannot do it and they can do it better than you. Mm. So those sort of things are the things I experience here. It's a lot of inspiration porn. Things that I wish I had an answer every time they say something stupid like that. I wish I had an answer, but it's a really lost battle. Mm. So I just sometimes answer, sometimes I question them back. You know, sometimes I have the time and I say, Tell me how I inspired you. About 10
2: years ago, Christina attended a landmark training.
0: I had a really tough time with the coach. I felt that she was really unaware of her privilege. She was really unaware of how ableist she was being. So I spoke up and I had everybody jump on me. Like, hold on, if you're not coachable, then let me know because then you don't belong here, basically. That's what she said. Are you going to be coachable or you're not going to be coachable? Coachable. I'm not coachable because you're not hearing what you're saying. Because everybody was kind of agreeing with her, the audience. I got really nervous. I internalized my oppression and I went away and I said, I'm not coachable. There's something wrong about me. There's something wrong with me being disabled and thinking that I can be here no, I cannot be here. So I went back to my seat to internalize every fucking oppression and stigma there is about me.
2: And by the next day, she
0: turned it around. Because I went home, I processed it, I talked to my dad, I wrote about it, and I grabbed the microphone again. I spoke my mind. I said, you know, none of you here have have lived my life. None of you here know exactly what I go through and the type of things I I face as a person with a disability. And I'm I'm not talking about my whole community. I'm talking about myself, Mm. which I bring light to how to treat other people with a disability. But you guys are way off if you think that that's the correct approach to tell a person that's not coachable because it disagrees with you or because it's calling on your privileges. That shut them off. They couldn't say anything to that. So I went back to my sit and I stayed there and I was completely tranquil. I was like, I said what I had to say. I felt more in my place and strong. And later on, a guy came to me and told me, I just want to share with you that you inspire me so much. And that's a big trigger for me because you remember I was a performing artist, and that phrase came a lot to me right after the performance you know oh my god you inspire me so much and I really want to know why why was I inspiring to you because I want to learn you know Yeah. Not, I'm not being sarcastic here I'm sarcastic because if I inspire you because I'm doing groceries I'm buying a piece (laughs) of bread and that (laughs) inspires you then tell me what the fuck are you thinking but that day I was really serious why am I inspiring you and the guy couldn't say that he couldn't put it in words and he just stayed quiet he's like well you know just the way you grab the microphone again and you know speaking and putting your words out there without fear of what other people might think and and that was not enough for me to inspire no. you and I'm like I'm, I'm sorry but I'm still not buying it that's called inspiration porn you're not convincing me I'm not, I'm not an inspiration porn, so please don't just use inspiration so lightly, you mm-hmm. know? And, and then we moved on from that, but there's tons of examples. If he were to actually be honest with you, if he came up to you, what would he have said, do you think? Honestly, I, I, um, I don't know. I don't know what goes through their mind to, to say stuff like that. I think he, he thought he was giving me a compliment that I was not going to question. Mm -hmm. Like a a way of patting me in the back. Good job, you know? I don't need that. I know I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a really fucking good job. And you don't need to tell me. Now, if you have something to add to that, your perspective on that, if you have a question about it, which I'm sure you would want to have questions before you start talking, then that's different. Let's have a conversation. That's a loaded comment, Mm -hmm. You inspire me, so for me, you have to go deeper, and that's why I say consciousness is the key to all sorts of not knowing how to handle people that are different from you. Being conscious about what you say and not don't use consciousness as this word that it's a buzzword. You know that it's use. I mean, read in the dictionary what consciousness means. If that's what you need to do, and apply it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about politically correct. Don't, don't, don't use those terms that are just really, you're just looking for buzzwords. And that's what gets in my nerves. Be fucking conscious about what you're asking, mm-hmm. what you're saying when you're offering help. If mm-hmm. that help is needed, be conscious that human beings adapt to whatever circumstances that there are. Human beings adapt. And so will you if this were to happen to you. So think in that way, Mm. be conscious about it and don't expect us to teach you because we already have a lot to deal with with society. Society makes us handicapped, not us. Mm. I have different abilities, abilities that you might not have, like a blind person has abilities that you don't have because all their senses are way more sharper than yours. So the same with me, you know? My brain is used to solving things for me to survive in this world, for me to survive in a world that's ableist, that's not going to adapt to me, that I have to adapt to it, and that I'm constantly struggling and fighting against, reclaiming myself and defending my rights. I'm constantly having to do that, and on top of it, I have to teach you. So with you doing this interview to me, I'm really open to, to talk about and. In a way, teach, yeah, okay, but I I say that the secret ingredient is to be conscious, and to to don't don't just to understand what that means, you know. Well, and
2: honestly, I was hesitant to ask you to do the interview because
0: I know you were.
2: You know, I was like, I don't, I don't. One, I don't want you to feel like you're representing every single person in a wheelchair, and two, that I don't think people should. Have to teach other people. I don't think black people should have to teach white people. I don't think people with disabilities have to, have different abilities have to teach able bodied people. I've just known you for so long. And we've had these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think our friendship, I've learned just being with you. Anyway, I, I thank you for doing this interview because I, I would have totally understood if you didn't want to do it. Christina talked about an article she was asked to write that caused a shift in her own awareness.
0: So he asked me to write an article about the queer economy and how what that means for me and he sent me a bunch of questions to kind of start thinking about what he wanted and one of the things that I wrote about was how I feel fabulous and why I feel fabulous being different and what makes me over there at that time now things you know change because I'm in a different place but at that time what made me feel fabulous honestly is to to know that I get out of my house and immediately I have an audience expecting for me. It's just inevitable. Everybody's going to look at me in the train. Everybody's going to stare. Everybody's going to ask questions that are out of place, much less than here, but they would do it. And to me, at the beginning, when I moved to the U.S. and when I started being in a wheelchair, and that was a really big, a difficult thing to bear. To the the gays, the unwanted questions, but it came about that that was kind of an epiphany at the time because I wrote it, and I'm like, actually, it makes me feel fabulous to know that these people are just a bunch of ignorance, <laughs> and that's where they're coming from, and that's why they look at me as if I'm performing. I perform twenty four seven for people. Uh-huh. So it makes. But it you became... mean fabu- fabulous in a sarcastic way, or are you? Did you like know, taking know, it on and saying? Really, I'm a fucking badass woman. If I am looking at these people, and instead of anger and hatred, I'm consciously aware of where they're coming from, of the lack of exposure to people with disability, of not knowing how to react when there's, there's a person around, and that that transition for me it's huge from going to oh my God, I'm embarrassed, I don't want to be around people that are staring at me, oh my God, they're so insensitive, to this is who they are. They're just mm-hmm. unaware. They don't have the capacity to, to think in another way other than why they, what they see. The first thing they see is the wheelchair. They don't see the human being sitting there. For me, understanding that individually, it was very empowering, very important. That's what I mean by feeling fabulous.
2: You're also an incredibly aware person. I mean, your day in and day out work is anti-racist work. Just like you said earlier, I don't know what it's like to be a black person. So you're aware of that. So you can kind of apply that same concept, right? To people that don't know what it's like to live in a wheelchair.
0: So just to give you an example, with you and me, like we were friends and there are things that you learned along the way of the things I could do. For you, I could do anything. Because you, you saw me and, you know, and I could basically do anything until I got that pneumonia that just said, no, you can't.
2: In 2008, Christina caught pneumonia that kept her in the hospital for a month and a half.
0: For you, it was like an awakening. No, she looks strong and she's like in your face and she, she, does, she has no fear, but she's fragile. Her health is fragile and... And it's okay to, to, to be like that. And, and it's, uh, for you, it was maybe a point of awareness when you realized that. But that's you because you had me in your life and you, we were really, really close. That doesn't happen to everybody that, that I see in the street. All my friends that I consider friends, they didn't see the wheelchair. They saw me yes. and they wanted to be with me, the human being. And I think the wheelchair a lot of the times gets in the way of having a real relationship that's genuine with me.
2: One of the things I remember becoming aware of specifically was walking down the street with you, and being unaware that you needed a ramp in the sidewalk to cross the street. But like I would just step off the street, and we would be like I would be like several feet away from the actual ramp to get into the crosswalk. Yeah. And I remember it consciously being like, oh, yeah, Christina needs to go to the room. I need to go over there with her.
0: You're aware. You're a person that's aware. I have the, I've had the experience of hanging out with people here, for instance, in Puerto Rico that, I mean, I, I have experience being in a wheelchair. I know when the person is nervous about hanging out with me, knowing how to cross the street with me and not leaving me behind. Does she need help crossing? Does she want me to stop the traffic? I mean, and taking over that much. And you're aware of how you react to it. And you're aware that you're learning and you don't punish yourself for not knowing. You're just becoming aware. You're creating that consciousness that we're talking about. But there's a lot of people that I, that, I have a really hard time, I think. I think, honestly, is my opinion. They have a really hard time syncing with me because they don't know how to handle those unknown things, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel they have to get to know me to get over the wheelchair issue and then to know the human being to get over the wheelchair issue and then to get to the genuine relationship. Yeah. That's steps, you know? Yeah it takes a a person with wanting to know, wanting to be aware of those things. Not everybody's like that. And that I have to be aware too. So I don't collapse. Because if I go to the street and get annoyed all the time and angry all the time, it's it's bad for my health. Mm -hmm. It's good to have something to say sometimes because then you got, at least I got it out. But I'm not going around teaching people how to treat me. Yeah. They learn on yeah. their way, yeah, even the strangers they learn on their way mm. yeah
2: well that's why this this interview is so valuable because this is a really unique opportunity for any anyone that's able-bodied that doesn't have, that isn't already friends with somebody in the literature
0: to give you an instance, the door in here, my building is really oh. heavy. I learn how to open it because I'm a superwoman yeah. <laughs> It's mega heavy. It's super heavy. How are you opening it? Well, I managed. I learned. You're that's the that. thing about adaptation. You learn how to do it. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I already have it under control. And when there's a person that's able-bodied trying to help me, I feel that person, instead of jumping to help me and get on the way, which could hurt me because my thumb is there holding the key and pulling the door, yeah. and wheelchair is holding the door and I have a whole method in place yeah. you come and grab the door and try to open it, you break my thumb yeah. so watch watch if that person needs help yeah. but, I mean offer it when you see that person struggling a lot, that's just consciousness, being yeah. conscious of what you're going to say and what you're going to do and I'm used to doing everything Valerie, I'm used right. to grabbing the fork, I'm used to you know, it looks like I'm struggling, but I'm not in my head, I'm not in my yeah. psyche, I'm not because that's what I do all day when I'm alone in the apartment in the apartment or in at work. I'm just doing different from you. Yeah. I write differently from you. It takes me a while to put the pen on my hand. But you guys saw me doing it and I felt like I, I it was great that you guys didn't interfere too much. Unless I asked. And that came natural. Yeah. It really came natural. And I feel you guys as my friends, you guys know exactly. You guys think with me. And it took time. But it was worth the effort.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's really. funny because I think you described me well in that I don't. I probably should have asked more often
0: how I could help you. Instead of just being like, oh, she's fine. Like, I think it was kind of... I kind of like it because then um, I feel safe to ask you for help.
2: Back in New York City, we talked more about using our able-bodied privilege as a means for change. You also ran a fundraiser for mental health, right? Through one of your races?
1: Yeah. Um, so- it's just a ride. Um, But a client of my father's, uh, his son committed suicide a few years ago, and um, he decided to basically create this fundraising opportunity. It's a bike ride. Uh, I think you can do anything from 15 to 200 miles over the course of the weekend to raise money for this cause. But yeah, and a few years ago, I ran a marathon in London for an organization called Leonard Cheshire Disability, which is, again, an organization that is working to create safe places for people who have different abilities. So you're directly using
2: your able-bodied privilege to affect change in a positive way for other people.
1: That is a very nice way to put it. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that's very obvious. Yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, it's, <laughs> obvious yeah, I, never, I never thought about it like that, I guess, but that's, that's a really succinct and accurate way to put it. I'm taking whatever I've been given and using it to create change.
2: Thanks for listening to the League of Badass Women podcast, produced by and music by Valerie Orth, mixed and mastered by Dismix. For more info, visit us at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Email your questions and comments to podcast at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Thanks again to our featured badasses of today's episode, and thank you for being a badass.